why is the 23rd Psalm one of the most popular or the most popular psalm of Christians according to most surveys? Well, perhaps one reason is because it's so familiar to us. You probably often hear the 23rd Psalm read at a funeral. And, and I will admit to you that it is one of the, the standard psalms that I will read when I conduct a funeral. And I've conducted hundreds of funerals. And it's been probably one funeral that I've ever conducted that I did not read the 23rd Psalm. In fact, the reason I did not read the 23rd Psalm in this one particular funeral is because the woman who met with me with her husband to plan her funeral service was a Christian. But her husband was a Muslim. And, and as we were planning her service, he would not speak. But before the meeting was over, and I was asking, what scriptures would you like me to read at your funeral? Because she was dying of cancer. He spoke up for the first time in our meeting. And he said, I know there's something I do not want to hear at her funeral. And it's something about a valley of a shadow of death. I don't want to hear it. And I said, oh, you're talking about the 23rd Psalm. Why don't you want to hear that? And he said, because I'm a doctor and I work the critical care unit and I hear you ministers come in at the moment of someone's death and you read that and it scares me. And I said to him, Kazra, it's not meant to scare you. It's meant to comfort you. As Christians, we believe that even at that moment that God will never leave us, that no matter what we go through in life, even at the moment of death, God is there to care for us. It brings a lot of comfort to us. And he said, I just don't want to hear it. And I said, well, I'm glad you told me because I would have read that one. A few months later, his beautiful wife passed away. We conducted her funeral service here. It was the first time he had ever attended a service in a church. He was born and raised in Iran, came here, became a doctor. And this was the first church he'd ever stepped foot in. Three weeks after her funeral, he called me on a Sunday morning and he said, would I be welcome to attend your church? I would like to come. And I said, oh, you would be welcome. And you'd be my honored guest. Why don't you come? And so he showed up that morning. He sat on the very back row, back when we had a row, right up against the wall. And he sat there right by the double doors. Came in late. And I thought, he's going to want to get out of here before I can get back there and speak to him. And I felt the Lord telling me a few things that morning. As I hung up the phone with Karis, or with, with um, Kazra, I, I heard the Lord saying to me, I want you to do a couple of things. First of all, take your tie off. Because he said, I'll be in my scrubs and I'm going to feel very underdressed. And I hope people won't look down on me because I'm not dressed up. But I've got to leave your church and go straight to the hospital. And, and I'll be in my scrubs. And then he started talking himself out of coming. Well, I'm just not going to come that day. Because I don't want to be a distraction by not being in a suit. And I said, nobody cares what you wear. Just come. And back in those days, I would wear a suit and a tie. And I decided to take my tie off that morning. And the second thing I heard the Lord saying to me, change your sermon. I had a whole sermon written and prepared, and God said, change your sermon and preach the 23rd Psalm today, because he needs to know. He has nothing to be afraid of with me. He has everything to be afraid of without me. And so I changed my sermon that day and preached the 23rd Psalm. I wish I could tell you that the story ended and Kazra became a Christian. No, as far as I know, even still to this day, he's not. If I see him at the hospital, he'll introduce me to other people as his pastor. So I'm working on him. I'm sharing the gospel. At the end of the service, he said, you said a lot of things I didn't understand, but I'd love to talk to you more. Would that be okay? And I said, absolutely. So we just keep our conversation going about the 23rd Psalm and about who this Lord really is.
So I think one of the reasons the 23rd Psalm is so popular is because it's so familiar to people, at least on a cursory level. They've heard it at a funeral. But I think there's something else to the popularity of this psalm. I think that all of us know deep down, instinctively, we need to know someone loves us. We need to know someone cares. We need to know someone notices us. We need to know that someone will be there to guide us when we're lost. Someone will be there to restore us when we've strayed. We need to know there will be someone who will provide for us when we feel that we have nothing to depend on. I think deep down instinctively we need to know that there is someone who watches over us and who stays with us and who comforts us and who accepts us and who welcomes us now and for eternity. And that someone is God. And I think one of the reasons the 23rd Psalm is so popular is because when you read those familiar words, it speaks to your greatest, deepest longings. That there's really only one who can be to us all that we need, and that is the Lord who is our shepherd. What I thought we would do today is begin by reading the 23rd Psalm together. In fact, I'm going to do something different. I want you to read it out loud with me. Now, we probably have five or six different translations of the Bible here. So to make it easier and to keep us in unison, why don't we read it from the English Standard Version as I put the words on the screen today. It begins with verse 1. Read it out loud with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. May God bless the reading of his holy word. You know, Psalm 23 is a psalm of David, and it's considered a psalm of confidence. It is David expressing his confidence in the Lord. Something you'll notice about Psalm 23 is that David doesn't ask for anything in this psalm. Many of the psalms, the people of God are asking God for things. And there's nothing wrong with that. They're bringing their needs to God. They're bringing their petitions and their desires to God. But in the 23rd Psalm, there's no petition. There's no request. In fact, it's just a statement of confidence in God. And David is writing this more than likely later in his life. And he's looking back on his life. And he remembered those days when he was a little shepherd boy, tending his father's sheep out on those Palestinian hillsides. And David realized that just as he watched over those sheep, and as he cared for those sheep, and he guided those sheep, and he provided everything those sheep needed, so God does that for me. And that's why David is able to declare the Lord is my shepherd. So David is putting himself in the, in the analogy of a sheep and the Lord as a shepherd. Now, we don't know much about shepherds in our city of Jacksonville. When I just got back from Ecuador, I'm still thinking of all of those pastures where we would drive by these communities and see sheep 
out on those hillsides and see a shepherd tending his sheep. And David is saying, that is the picture of how God watches over me. And that just as that sheep is absolutely dependent on the shepherd, so I'm dependent on God. And just as a good shepherd takes care of his sheep, I've got a good God who takes care of me. In fact, David begins by discussing who he is, this shepherd that he's referring to. He begins by talking about who he is. The Lord is my shepherd. This is who he is that watches over David and watches over you and watches over me. He is none other than the Lord. Now remember, this is the personal name of God that God revealed to Moses when God called Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. God said, I am that I am. I am Yahweh. I am the self-existent, eternal, uncreated God. And I am your God, Israel. I am your God. And David is saying, that's my shepherd. My shepherd is the Lord. He is the eternal one. And he is the personal one to me. And I love that David doesn't just say, the, the Lord is our shepherd. Now that's true because Israel considered Yahweh our shepherd. We are his sheep and he guides us as a people. But here David says, not only do I have a personal God, I have a personal relationship with him. He doesn't say just the Lord is our shepherd. David makes it personal. The Lord is my shepherd. And I wonder this morning if you can say that with confidence. That no, I'm not perfect. No, I don't have my act all together. No, I don't understand all that there is to know about the Bible or the ways of God. But I know this, the Lord is the one watching over me. The Lord is the one who cares for me. The Lord is the one who is guiding me and protecting me. And the Lord is the one in whom I put my confidence. David is expressing his confidence because the Lord is his shepherd. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There is nothing that I don't need. God has provided for all that I need to live for him. Now, whenever you read verse 1 and it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That speaks of your need, not your greed. You know, I mean, I don't play the lottery, but I was thinking, wow, if any time to play it. You know, I could probably finally get that Mustang GT that I've always wanted. But you know what? God's not obligated to meet my greeds. But here's one thing I can tell you in all of my life. Whatever I've faced in life, God has provided what I needed in that moment. And David is saying, I've got a good God on my side. The Lord is my shepherd. I have no needs. I can be confident in his care for me. And so he tells us, who he is. He is the Lord, my shepherd. And he tells us, secondly, what he does for me. David says, who is he to me? The Lord is my shepherd. What does he do for me? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then he begins discussing how God provides for him. Notice, if you will, verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I love that. I'm going to tell you, you need to be careful before you let this Lord, the one true living God, become your shepherd. Because he knows what's best for you. And sometimes he's going to make you do some things. And one of the things this good shepherd does is he makes you at times lie down in green pastures. It's a picture of rest. It's a picture of tranquility. It's a picture of peace. 
And the shepherd knows that sometimes the sheep are so wearied and so frightened and so easily afraid that they need to rest. And so this good shepherd is going to make you lie down in green pastures. Pastures where you can be comfortable and pastures where you can be fed with that lush green grass. And sometimes God knows we need to come to an end of ourselves and rest a while. And so he may allow us to be put flat on our back so that we have to just rest in him. Or he may allow us to get into circumstances where we are absolutely powerless to fix it. And we just have to learn to rest in him. And all we have is the lush word of God to feast on, to meditate on, to depend on. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Just outside the hotel where we stayed in uh, Cuenca, Ecuador, there is a river that runs through the city. And at that section of the river, it just bubbles over rocks and stones and boulders. It's one of the most peaceful sounds you'll ever hear at night. So, uh, so we would leave the window. Brandon Bickerstaff, he's here. He was my roomie. Uh, we would leave the window open every night. And man, we would just hear that sound and it brought such tranquility and peace and helped you sleep at night after a long day. Well, sheep aren't like that. Many sheep are scared of fast running water. Perhaps they're afraid they will fall in and become waterlogged in their wool and they may drown. They're afraid of it. So often a good shepherd will have to take some time and put in some effort to go alongside of that fast running stream or river and use rocks to build out a place where the water to flow into and form a still, calm pool of clean water. And now the sheep will come and they'll drink and our good shepherd knows that sometimes he has to do what's best for us. And he makes us lie down in green pastures to feed on the word of God, to rest in him. And he leads us to still waters because sometimes he knows we're so overwhelmed with fear and anxiety that he just says, come a while, come aside a while with me. Just spend some time with me. Let me give you the peace that you're looking for. Reminds me of why Paul would write in Philippians chapter 4 verses uh, five and six, he says, don't be anxious about anything, but through everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, our Lord. So that good shepherd says, come on and rest. Come and let's just spend some time away from what scares you and just focus on me and you and you'll find peace that you didn't think were available. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Look at verse 3. He restores my soul. Literally in the Hebrew, it means he gives me my life back. He restores my soul. And he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Perhaps what David was thinking about was even after he became the king of Israel and he grievously broke the heart of God when he committed the sin of adultery and then tried to cover it up by having Bathsheba's husband Uriah killed so that everyone would think the baby she was carrying was Uriah's. And for a solid year, David rebelled against God and covered his sin. And he would later say in one of the Psalms, I found no peace no rest in that whole year. It was the worst year of my life. 
But then in Psalm 51, God brings him to repentance and restoration and renewed fellowship with God. And maybe that's what he's thinking when he writes, he restores my soul. He gave me my life back. Sin fascinates, but then it assassinates. Sin first thrills, but then it kills every good thing in your life. But I've got a shepherd who loves me even when I go astray. And he restores my life. He gives me back the joy of my life. He gives me back the peace of my life. He gives me back the purpose of my life. Because he is a gracious God who restores. And aren't you glad that even though we sheep sometimes wander, he restores us. He restores my soul. And he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You know, ever so often you'll read a news report about some family pet that got lost and was gone for months or years. And then all of a sudden, it showed back up at the family doorstep, and everybody's so excited that Fluffy, who's been gone for six months, and we thought Fluffy was dead to us, somehow found her way home. You've never read that story about a sheep. Never. (laughs) Millions upon millions of sheep, but when they get lost, they are lost for good. They don't find their way home. You have to go and search them out. And as sheep, we know what it is. In fact, we are so prone to wander from God, wander away from his will for our lives, get ourselves off in a wrong path, make some bad choices, make some bad decisions. And often we didn't intend to do that. We didn't wake up this morning and say, how can I ruin my life today? No, we just kind of wandered off. We, we know we're prone to that. We even have a hymn that we sing here at the 8 o'clock service. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And David says, it's, it's okay. You've got a shepherd who restores your soul. He gives you life back. And he leads you in the paths of righteousness. He restores you so that he can then continue to guide you. It's why Jesus said to the woman taken in adultery. And by the way, where was that sorry dog that was with her? Women have often gotten the short end of the stick when it comes to those kind of things. But it takes two to tango the last time I checked. It was probably one of those men who trapped her and used her and abused her. And then wanted to use her to trick Jesus into condemning her. But Jesus said, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. I restore you, and now let me lead you into a new way of living. And that's what he wants to do for all of us. He wants to restore us, but then he wants to lead us in paths of righteousness, paths that lead to good living, paths that are right and holy and good, paths of life and choices that you'll never regret. And why does he want to lead you? Because his character is on the line. His name, his reputation is on the line. He leads you in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Who wants to trust a shepherd who can't even take care of his own sheep? On one of the journeys this past week in Ecuador, I was sitting up front in the bus on that three and a half hour trip. I think that was the trip we were on. We were on that bus so often. uh, They all start running together. But we were going up this mountain. I'm going about 35 or 40 miles an hour. And I saw, and the driver saw up in the distance, some sheep that had gotten out of their pen and were running in the road. And so he begins to stop and hit the brakes as one stray sheep ran in front of the bus. And as soon as it ran in the front of the bus, it then turned and went back. And I thought, oh, good. And then it turned right back in front of the bus. And then it went back. And I thought, oh, wow, we were this close to, to killing that, that poor sheep. And I'm thinking, how dumb. 
And that's how I am. What? Wait. And then all of a sudden, I'm in trouble. I've made a mistake. But you know what? A good shepherd's going to protect you and bring you back. And he's going to lead you in paths of righteousness because he's not the one who leads you astray. He's not the one who leads you down wrong paths. He's not the one who leads you into danger. No, he leads you in good paths because it's his name on the line. And every Christian and every follower of Jesus in this room understands you've never regretted following the Lord's leading in your life. You've only regretted not following it, right? Let's continue. He continues by telling us what he does for me. David says in verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. David sounds braggadocious here. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. I am like Rambo. Nothing will stop me. I, as a lone person, can take on armies. No. No, that's not, that's not David being braggadocious about his abilities. He's saying, I don't have anything to be afraid of. Because everything that scares me is smaller than the God who's with me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. God says, David, or David says, God, David says, God, the greatest present you've ever given me is your presence with me. And even though a shepherd may lead his sheep through the valley of shadows and danger and death, notice a couple of things. First of all, he's leading the sheep through it, not to it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Death won't have the last word over this shepherd's sheep. Often a shepherd's going to lead his sheep to a better pasture land, but they have to go through a valley first. And that valley is filled with shadows as those tall mountains block out the sun. And sometimes vegetation will grow, and that sounds great to sheep. Hey, we can munch on some vegetation. But you know, just as sheep can munch on vegetation, so predators can hide behind vegetation. And often those narrow passageways became dangerous passageways, whereas a shepherd is leading his sheep, his flock is behind him. A predator can reach out and snatch one, a bear or a lion. Or even a thief who is lying in wait to snatch one of those sheep for himself. It's a scary place for sheep. And yet David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. I've seen you kill a bear before. I've seen you kill a lion before. I've seen you fight off an enemy before. I've seen you stand and defeat the giant. I know you're with me, and I put my confidence in you. That no matter what difficult, dark, dangerous time I'm going through, physically or relationally or spiritually, I have nothing to fear as long as you're with me. Oh, and by the way, how long will this shepherd be with you? According to Hebrews 13, 5, he said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You have nothing to be afraid of. That is why we often read this psalm at a funeral. We're not really talking about the, the deceased as much as now we're talking to the family. Your deceased loved one in Christ is with the Lord. He's passed through that valley of the shadow of death. And where there's a shadow, there's light. He's already seen the light of the Lord Jesus. But you're still hurting. You're still grieving. 
the Lord who watched over your loved one is here with you as well. And that's why I say Psalm 23 is not just for the dead. Psalm 23 is for the living. He's still with us. He's still guiding us. He's still leading and protecting us. And we can put our confidence in him. You are with me. And he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I agree with Tom this morning that these are two different items that a good shepherd would have in his possession. The rod was a cudgel. It, it, was, a, it was a long stick. It was something he could use to beat off an enemy, to beat off a lion or a bear, to protect his sheep. He never used it against his sheep, but he would have a staff, that shepherd's crook. And that's what he would hold up as he led his sheep and they followed behind him. And with that little crook, when they went astray, were about to get off into a problem or wander away like some of our kids, maybe parents need these, with that little, with that little crook, he'd just nudge them and pull them back over onto the right path. Or if they fell over a, a precipice and were lodged, he could use that to lift them back up. It was for the benefit of the sheep. And David says, I know as long as you're with me, you got those two things in your hands, I'm okay. I'm just going to keep my eyes on you, and I'm going to trust you. And as long as you're God who is with you, who is greater than any enemy you will ever face, and who will comfort you and restore you, no matter what, you have nothing to fear. Verse 5, there's a shift, most scholars believe, in the picture here. Verses 1 through 4 is the picture of a shepherd caring for a sheep. But in verses 5 and 6, we see... A host taking care of his guest. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Now the picture is David sitting at the banquet table prepared by the Lord himself. And the Lord is now the host. And David is now an honored guest at the table of this host. And he says, you prepare a table. You prepare a spread, as they would say in Texas, for me. In the presence of my enemies. Now, still in this day, in the 21st century, there are places in Middle Eastern culture, Afghanistan, Iraq, Iran, some of those countries, where some people still practice this ancient law of hospitality. That if they bring you into their home, they have not only obligated themselves to provide for you, to give you food, to give you water, to give you shelter, they've also obligated themselves to protect you from any enemy out there. Some of our own U.S. soldiers have discovered that principle where they've been brought in by families in times of danger and then the family stands to protect them from their enemies. And David is saying, God, that's what you do for me. There were times when David, before he ascended to the throne of Israel and Saul was still on the throne, that David's life was in danger. Saul sought to kill David. And yet even in the midst of David being hunted by Saul, David could rest in the presence of the Lord and God provided for him and his enemy could not touch him. And even after he became the king, when his own son, his own flesh and blood, Absalom, overtook the throne and sought to destroy David. Even though David was surrounded in his own country by people who wanted to kill him because they wanted his son in power, David says, you are with me, your rod, your staff, they guide me and comfort me 
And God, you prepare a table where I have everything I need in peace, even in front of my enemies. They watch me as you care for me, and there's nothing they can do about it. There's nothing they can do to stop it. I just get to feast. My head is anointed with oil. That's what a, a host would do is after you've been out traveling in the hot Middle Eastern heat and sun, you would come in and they would wash your feet and they would anoint your head with oil as a way of soothing you and comforting you and then sit you down at a table. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup, it overflows. There's never an end to what's in my cup. The cup of joy, the cup of refreshment, the cup of blessing. You know David's speaking here of spiritual blessings, don't you? If, if all you're thinking right now is what's for lunch, you've missed the point David's talking about. He's not talking about just physical food or physical wine. He's talking about the joy of the Lord, the sustaining grace of the Lord, the protection of the Lord. And when he's in God's presence being cared for by God, there's nothing that his enemies can do for him. So he tells us about this shepherd. Who is he? The Lord is my shepherd. What does he do for me? I shall not want. He provides everything for me. And why does he do it? That's the third thing David speaks to us about. Why does this shepherd do this for us? Look at verse 6, the first part of it. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. David says, surely goodness and mercy. The goodness of God... All those benefits and blessings of God and the mercy of God. The, maybe your translation reads the loving kindness of God. It's the Hebrew word hesed, H-E-S-E-D. Now you know a, a Hebrew word, hesed. And it speaks of God's loving kindness, God's covenant, loyal love that will never end. And David says, no matter how long I live, no matter where I go, no matter what troubles I go through, no matter how many enemies are against me, I've got a shepherd of my soul who cares for me. I've got a host who invites me into his presence. And I've got two companions that follow me, goodness and God's loyal love. They will follow me all the days of my life. Why does God do for you what he does? Why does he choose to be your shepherd? Why does he choose to care for you? Because he's a good God and he's a loving God. That's who's on your side. Surely goodness and mercy, these aren't just the characteristics of God. These, this, these speak of God himself. The Bible says God is good. And the Bible says God is love. That's who follows you all the days of your life. God ready to give you his goodness, always ready to remind you of his love that will never end. And what does he think of you? Because I think that might be the fourth question David answers. Who is this God that cares for me? Well, he's the Lord, my shepherd. What does he do for me? He cares for me. Why does he care for me like this to provide everything I need? Because he's a good shepherd. And he's a good host. And he's a loving God. Well, what does he think of me? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell. I will abide. I will live in the house of the Lord forever. You know what he thinks of you? He says, you do get the picture, don't you? You're not just a sheep. 
you're my child. You're not just a guest. You're a part of my family. And you will dwell in my presence forever. In this life and in the life to come. When Casey was little, I would read bedtime stories to her from time to time. And so we'd go into her room, we'd open up one of those bedtime stories, and we would read it. And you know how they begin? Once upon a time, right? And you know how they end? And they lived happily ever after. Sometimes I wanted to just throw that book out and tell her how life really is. <laughs> so how do you never read this book? Well, let me tell you a story. There was a prince. He was a good guy. Everybody liked him. His father was the king. King lived to be a good old age. Then one day died of food poisoning. Everybody was surprised. But now the prince is now the king. And he became the king at a very difficult time. The previous king had gotten the kingdom into a couple of wars on two different fronts. And because of that, his popularity had decreased. And to fund those wars, he had to raise taxes. Boy, that didn't help matters much. People are not happy about that, paying more taxes. But you know, he's doing pretty good trying to keep the kingdom together, trying to fight those wars, trying to manage everything at home. And then a couple of years into his reign, the scandal broke. He had had an affair with an intern, and boy, was that nasty. Now there's a divorce that ensues. Prince got, queen got her lawyers, king got his, and they just fought, and it was nasty. It was in the tabloids. And his, his popularity levels went down even further. I mean, it, it was probably the lowest uh, since they had been taking polls in his kingdom. But eventually the divorce was finalized. He got to keep the castle, and she got the palace at the lake. And they lived miserably ever after. Now go to sleep. <laughs> That's life. <laughs> you know, Because sometimes you read those fairy tales and you say, that ain't life. And sometimes we read Psalm 23, and we get to verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And it sounds too good to be true. And we say, is that a fairy tale? Is that just make-believe? Because life's not feeling like that. I've wandered and messed up my life, and I've got people who are after me, and I've got struggles and needs. And all the while, God is saying, listen, if verse 1 is true, Verse 6 is guaranteed. If you can say the Lord is my shepherd, you can also say surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The reason I preached the 23rd Psalm that day that Khazra came to our church, a Muslim who had never been to a church service before other than his own wife's funeral, was because I wanted to introduce him to that Lord, to that shepherd. And so I ended that message that day like I'll end this one. Jesus said in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. No one takes it from me. I'm not going to die as a victim. I'm going to die as a volunteer. That's something you've never heard of. You've often heard of sheep dying for their shepherd. But Jesus says, I'm a shepherd who dies for a sheep. No one takes my life from me. I will lay it down willingly. And if I have power to lay it down, I have power to take it again. I am the good shepherd. And dear friend, the reason I know verse 6 is not a fairy tale is because Jesus walked through that valley of the shadow of death long before I ever will. And he came out on the other side and he said, In me, you can have eternal life. He said to his own disciples, I'm going to die. And it brought them fear and questions. And he said, No, 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 no. 
John 14, 1 through 6, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. Do you know the Lord as your shepherd? Have you trusted your soul to him? Have you trusted your life to him? Have you trusted your sins to him for forgiveness? If yes, then you can say with David, the Lord is my shepherd. He'll take care of me. And if you've never done that, today can be the day. Because he's still got room in his flock for you. You're that one that we sang about. 99 are safe. He went out and found you. You're here for a reason this morning. He's wooing you. He's seeking you. He's drawing you to himself. All you have to do is say, yes, Lord Jesus, save me. I'm lost. (laughs) I can't make it back on my own. I can't make it into God's presence on my own. I trust in you as my Lord and my shepherd and my Savior. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in the stillness of this moment, there could be someone in this room who for the first time in their life realizes they need Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. They don't need religion. I'm not asking about their church history. But deep down in their heart, they know there's never been a time they have personally said, Dear Lord Jesus, I want you to be the shepherd of my life. I want you to be my Savior. I want you to be my Lord, to guide me. And I put my trust today, once and for all, in Jesus, the good shepherd, who gave his life on the cross, who rose from the dead physically alive to prove he is who he says he is. He's the Son of God. He is the Lord. He is our shepherd. And he has the power to do what he promised he could do if we trusted him. And that is, he could forgive us of our sin and give us eternal life so that we will spend eternity in the Father's house. So, Father, I pray that today, maybe for the first time in someone's life, they will say, Dear Lord Jesus, I admit to you I'm a sinner. I believe you died for me and rose from the dead for me. And today I confess my sin. And I confess I am now placing my trust, my confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord alone. And I take him at his word when he promised, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Father, I pray if there's anyone here that needs to pray that prayer and talk to you and do business with you and receive your forgiveness and grace, they would do it right now. But God, I also pray they wouldn't be ashamed to let someone know, today I've trusted Jesus as my Savior. Maybe they'll tell the person they came with. Maybe they'll let us know so that we can rejoice with them. So Father, I pray if there's anyone here that's done that, maybe they'll come and tell us at the next step area in the back of the auditorium, today I prayed to receive Jesus. Or maybe they'll go to fcbc.life and connect with us and say, today I've committed my life to Jesus. Father, whatever it is, we want to rejoice with them. And we want to be a church that is available to them to know more about their shepherd and their host who by his grace cares. So God, we thank you that we can have confidence in your care for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.